And you can live in the day. So let's begin. All right. Welcome to the show. Um, we're super happy to be here. Rokas, um, I know you are well, but but the, the listeners want to know. Are you, how are you doing? Uh, I am indeed great. Making some changes in my life, as we have discussed before. Currently in the uncertainty period, but taking action so it won't be uncertainty for much longer. Does that explain it well, Raj? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. Do you, we haven't talked about a topic. What do you got for me? Okay. So yoga is something you've talked about before, but whenever I think yoga, I still only think of the kind of yoga poses, the generic things, but I know it goes deeper than that. I still don't understand like the deeper meaning behind it. So that's why I'd like you to explain to me this episode. What actually is yoga? Excellent. I love that topic because I, that's what I am trained to talk about, but I don't know what to say. <laughs> no, <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And, and yoga is important because uh, it's what I try to tell my clients and students um, when we're talking about performance and so for the listeners as you're driving your car or uh doing your thing and listening to this show on the train or something yoga is your performance in life uh, because yoga is the restraint of mental activity M mental activity is fivefold it is sleeping fantasy correct knowledge incorrect knowledge and memory okay so all aspects of your life basically of your waking and and sleeping life is mental activities and the restraint of those mental activities is yoga one of the problems in our life is that we hardly restrain the mental activities. It's a big problem. It's a challenge. And we don't know it. We try to just kind of pinpoint uh, a certain issue, uh, whether it's anger or um, emotional eating or bad relationships, uh, spending poorly, worrying lots of anxiety people listening to the show and uh those are all inside the five activities right those are it's a mixture which if you break it down into where they exist or categorize themselves so if we back out and look at every category as a one kind of restraint in a meditative type fashion that's really where we're gonna uh have the most satisfaction as fast as possible if we can practice yoga by getting away from all of those activities momentarily and it's actually a perfect thing to do when you're in a commute before you go to work after you after you're done with work um, when you're at home before you go to bed after you wake up there's these moments in our life in our day 
when yoga needs to be practiced before we can really say I'm in yoga all the time, um, or I switch back and forth instantaneously. That's, that's where elite performers really rest and recover. But for, for normal folks, just practicing, um, it's in these times in our day when no, we're not being bothered by anyone. We're not really doing anything. We're, we're about to do something. We're about to go to bed or we're, we've just woken up. Um, we have a minute away from the family. Uh, hey, maybe we're in the bathroom, you know, like there's times in our day where we only get a few mo a few minutes away. I know a lot of people when they go to the bathroom, by the way, like they bring their phone. Um, I'm guilty of this. I'm checking up on things on Twitter or something, or a lot of times I'm, I'm checking on the stock market, et cetera, et cetera. So I try to like work, but it's too much. Um, we can reverse that pattern and practice yoga. We can like actually close our eyes and just kind of restrain a part of our consciousness. They can restrain the one of one of those mental activities, uh, or or several of them at the same time, right? If we're up, we we can't restrain waking consciousness, right? So we need to focus on restraining. Um, knowledge is a big one. Memory and fantasy. Knowledge, memory, and fantasy are are critical. So, specifically. When it comes to knowledge, thinking we know something is a lot of our day. It's a lot of our projected consciousness, thinking we know something. So we can cut that off for a second and try to not know anything, right? Try to have like a gap or a space in our mind. Um, memory, right? Memory. My guru said that memory was the biggest concern for most people. We can practice cutting memory off and having a gap there or a space where there is no memory. There's no thinking of, of something in the past or something in the future. And then there's uh, fantasy. It, uh, our mental visualizations and movies that run through our head. We can cut that off for a second and kind of enter into a void where that doesn't exist. Now, if we do that, if we practice that for a few minutes, we are practicing yoga. We are uh, restraining mental activity and getting a break from uh, life's demands, I think you can say. And so if we're connected to life 24-7, we run into problems. That, that's in the, in the Hindu scriptures specifically the sutras of yoga uh, of uh, uh, sage patanjali the yoga sutras you have the the five mental activities that we just talked about you have the definition of yoga and then he goes into uh, other areas of life that uh, why we need to do all that and and he, he while he defines what it is right away he then puts that aside and say, okay, now that we know what that is, why do we even need to do that? Well, it's because we're... Before we're you go into the why. Yeah, yeah. 
could we have like practical steps to how to actually practice it so i'm presuming closing your eyes and then and then what i think i think closing your eyes or staring off into something is a good first step and uh for example i don't always close my eyes i actually the monks were trained to in, in one technique to keep their eyes half open and half closed so if you don't want to close your eyes, that's fine. But but try to try to focus on one thing um, and kind of gaze into it. So if you're looking at something beautiful, if you're looking at the ocean, if you're looking at the mountains, uh, if you're looking at a backyard, an empty backyard, you feel free to stare into the wood fence or the wood whatever, or the grass, or close your eyes. Now, obviously. Uh, focusing on your breathing is numero uno. It's step number one because it's it's so easy, it's so direct, and it's the one thing that's uh, happening all the time. It's uh, it's in the moment. It's it's in the present moment. So our breath pulls us into the now, as they say, and so we want to focus on that for a minute, not not forever. And so we breathe a few times and make sure that you catch a bit of memory, um, a bit of knowledge, a bit of fantasy, like remind yourself what you're cutting yourself off from, right? Don't just try to go into the void right away if you're a beginner, because your mind will subconsciously or automatically start to think and start to run through memory, fantasy, or knowledge. And it'll start thinking. Um, there's a famous yogic quote uh, that said, uh, man thinks that he's had a moment of peace, but his mind has just thought 10,000 different things. And it's true. We, our mind is fascinating and it can run through different thoughts without us even realizing it. So we need to kind of catch that for a second. And if your mind is particularly blank, great. Keep it blank. But if, you, if you're a typical warrior, uh, someone who has a lot of, not warrior, worrier, like someone who has a lot of anxiety, um, go ahead and run through a thought real quick. Run through a memory real quick. And just focus on that being the thing that you're going blank from and cutting off and then go back to your breath and say, okay, that's the, that's what I'm trying to cut off and don't focus too much on pushing it away, but just recognize that, that it could be there or that it was there. All right. So that's happening, right? Your eyes are, are closed or open. If it's appropriate, you're breathing and you're aware of the present moment where you are where your body is in space, you know, sitting on a chair or standing up on a subway, whatever. And you're aware of where the mind is at. You're not just aware of the body in space and everything, but you're aware of where your mind is currently located and what your mind is currently interested in. Okay. So we pull that up real quick and, and make sure we check in to where the mind is. That is a good start. Um, when you can't move, 
when you're when you're relatively still. Now, something that uh, is also helpful is starting to practice this kind of yoga while doing physical yoga, while doing what's known as hatha yoga. Hatha yoga is the is the art of of physical postures. So if you're stretching, if you're moving around, if you're warming up before working out, uh, before a walk or whatever, then you can also practice this, this core yoga. And you can start to kind of be aware of the movement, go into the movement and cut off memory, knowledge, fantasy, and you can be fully present. So the beginner ways of doing this is to kind of pause a real life moment and start practicing uh, being fully aware in this way. That's, that's kind of the biggest uh, practicing way I can think of. Because other than that, you're setting a, a, a time a specific time where you're where, where you're practicing yoga and and we typically call that meditation yeah i was going to ask the difference between yoga and meditation because it does sound similar so i guess you just covered it there yeah i think i think that just came up for me um meditation is um one pointed practice of yoga so we are we are not meditating um, as we run. We're running. We can practice yoga as we run, but we have a major focal point going on, and that's not um, a deep type of meditation. We need to be still and cut off from the world when we practice deep uh, meaningful and profound meditation, specifically profound. If we want to go extremely, well, I don't like that word. If we want to move past a certain layer of the mind and go deeper into ourselves, we do need to practice some sort of physical restraint and not try to run, try to read. I, I know a lot of people who tell me I meditate when I read and I kind of like avoid what I really want to say. And I'm like, oh, great. But that's not good enough for me. That's not, I think that's a good way to say it. That's not good enough for me. And a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people are like, well, what do you know? Anyways, I was on a podcast uh, not long ago with this uh, psychologist, brilliant woman. I had a fantastic conversation but she really did not like what I had to say. And we spent most of the podcast arguing, which was fun because she was very good at arguing uh, respectfully. And, and, and uh, we had a really strong, uh, challenging conversation. And she just was like, she just couldn't, um, I couldn't convince her. Of, of my definition of meditation. And um, that's fine. 
but uh, but I get that a lot, you know. But but I was trained. That's what orthodox is. It's strict kind of purism. It's a strict kind of practice that uh, says this is how it's done. This is how it's supposed to be done, and we don't care about your methods. Um, I'm all for people using meditation in various aspects and forms. If they're playing music and they feel like that's their meditation, that's amazing. I'm super happy for that. Um, I have to create the distinction though, that when I talk about meditation, um, I'm not just talking about yoga. I'm talking about um, a specific practice that requires one-pointed concentration. If I'm playing music, um, part of my body and mind is very focused on moving a certain way. And that will forever kind of hold you to this realm, so to speak. In, in, in traditional meditation, we are trying to remove our consciousness from the the world in a sense now you could say that an extremely talented artist is not conscious is not physically there like Jimi hendrix playing guitar has nothing to do with his body like he's on autopilot and for that i'll i'll bend and say you're absolutely right that kind of artist is indeed in in a in a type of trance and they're not connected to this world in a way. Um, but I can't relate every guitarist to Jimi Hendrix. It just, he's one of a kind uh, individual who was on a mission to, to play guitar like no one else can. So that's my example. Like in, for dancers, uh, traditional Indian dancers, Bharatanatyam, Odisha dancers, um, for sure, they're like in another world communing with a divine source, but not everyone, most people aren't going to be able to do that. So we're got to bring it down here and speak to the to the masses, uh, to where most people can relate. And as one of the monks told me when I was a young monk, he said, we need to be realistic here. If you want to succeed at meditation, you need to sit very still for a long period of time. Ba basic. Okay. Now, I want to quickly jump into a subtopic real quick since we're talking about meditation uh, and yoga. Um, and I want to write this down as I say it. I want to write it down because I want to make sure I get it right. But yoga, I think this is an appropriate place to say that there are uh, five steps to yoga. So what we've just talked about is the five, uh, we've talked about four steps or so. The first step is attention. Okay. And that is where we broke down the breathing, the movement, uh, whether you're sitting or moving. And that is getting your attention to the present moment. Okay, the second step, and this can all happen either in succession, like rapidly, or this can take time. 
So attention can take a few minutes, or if you're well-versed, it could take uh, uh, no time at all. Concentration, okay? Concentration. Okay, that would be when we have sustained attention. We have prolonged attention. We are now concentrated, okay? We've entered the zone of sustained attention, all right? Then we have meditation. Now that's why I wanted to bring this up because meditation is the third step. Um, and for a lot of people, when they're doing something, they're stuck in attention and concentration. That's what I'm talking about. The dancer, the guitarist, the rugby player, they're, they're not trying to get to meditation. They're focused on attention and concentration. If you asked a rugby player to get to meditation, he'd probably get his knock, he'd get knocked out <laughs> <laughs> because he's gone past the idea of focusing where the ball is, where the other players are. Um, and he's gone too far into this hyper-focus. Okay. So in yoga, meditation is really that third crucial step. Now, if we can hold that, we have contemplation. And we all know these words, contemplation, okay? Contemplation is, of course, sustained meditation. So really, when we move on and get more and more specific, we're just talking about a sustained version of the previous word. It's very simple to remember. Attention, concentration, meditation, contemplation. Now, when we get to contemplation, we're in the zone. Like, it's very hard to pull someone away from real contemplation. It's, it's a, it's a hyper-focused area that is, um, you're no longer, for example, in contemplation, you're no longer being bombarded by thoughts. The, the mind is, is no longer an issue in uh, contemplation. It's a very enjoyable place to be. Now, for someone who has gotten to the fifth step, we, we call this Samadhi, okay? S-M-A-D-H-I. That is the final stage of yoga. Everything that we've talked about for most people in this show is in the first three steps. Attention, concentration, meditation. And I've talked you through what that means and how to kind of get there and when you can do it. Okay. Now there's, there's all kinds of more things to say about that, but to lay out those last two, you know, really completes yoga. Okay. As it's known in the classical sense, contemplation and Samadhi and Samadhi is um, twofold. Okay, it's a deep, deep meditation, and it's twofold. We have Sarvi Kalpa, S-A-R-V-I-K-A-L-P-A, -A um, and that is also spelled and said different ways. I think it's also, you can take out the R if you wanted to and have Savi Kalpa, but it's Sanskrit, and I'm I know very little about Sanskrit. So for everyone who knows more than I do, I apologize. And you have Nirvikalpa, N 
I-R-V-A, Kalpa, K-A-L-P-A. Okay. So, Sarvikalpa or Savikalpa Samadhi is with form. Nirvakalpa is without form. Okay, now the in Sarvakalpa with form, that type of Samadhi or meditation, we have a classical word attributed to this style or this experience. And that is sat, S-A-T, chit, C-H-I-T, ananda, A-N-A-N-D-A, satchidananda. Now satchidananda means that your consciousness is blissful. Okay, it's a it's a it's a ecstasy type of experience. Forever, anyone who's taken the, the actual drug ecstasy or MDMA, it's very similar. You're you're inside of love in in, a, in one of its deepest senses, um, and you have lo- deep love and respect for the entire idea of consciousness, the world. Every, everyone in it, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the idea with this first type of, of experience is um, with form. We have to remember that we're still aware of consciousness. Okay. So that we have to understand that while it's a deep state of meditation, it is not the final kind of state. Now, the final state is also known as enlightenment or self-realization, okay? And this blissful feeling, that is not enlightenment. That is the precursor, okay? Now, we have nirvikalpa without form. Um, That is where we lose consciousness, much like deep sleep, we are not conscious, okay? And we don't experience it, right? And why, why don't we, we experience losing consciousness? Very simply, we're not conscious, okay? So this, this, there has to be a, um, there has to be an aftermath where we realize we've lost consciousness. Just like deep sleep. We only realize deep sleep when we wake up. Um, and that would be, you know, a fi- sort of rundown of the core yoga steps of how to experience yoga. Now, my teachers would, you know, be upset with me if I didn't at least say that this five steps has three steps before it. And that is the three steps before this are basically what we talk about every single uh, show. It's uh, character, it's, it's, you know, behaving correctly, it's being, you know, 
controlling your appetites, controlling your nature. Um, we're in that world. We're in that world of modified behavior and being a good person or a decent person. Those come before these final steps of yoga in a traditional way. Okay, so those three steps are um, yama, niyama. So yama is Y-A-M-A. Niyama is N-I-Y-A-M-A, niyama. And asana, asana, which is A-S-A-N-A. And asana is posture, um, specifically sitting down and being still or keeping the body still. Yama, um, observance, that's what it means, observances. Or uh, yeah, commandments almost. Niyama, restraints. Oh, so restraint of observation. No, restraint of character. Now, we haven't gotten to uh, psychological uh, restraints yet. Those, those would be in attention, starting with attention. But yama and niyama, the observances and restraints, are the classical commandments that, that uh, Hinduism has offered. And that is um, the character thing, not stealing, not cheating on your wife, uh, not sleeping around with everyone while you're young, um, not killing anyone, you know, things like that. Just like uh, Abrahamic religions have their 10 commandments that was given by Moses, I believe. So what does, what is character in Hinduism, because if you're restraining it and it's that, then what actually is character? I meant you're restraining, um, you're restraining attributes assigned to uh, bad character. Oh, you're okay. Within you're within the realm of character. You're within the realm of how you should live. Uh, in Buddhism, it's 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 well known that it's right thought, right action, right deeds. That's the basic Buddhist uh, uh, concentration of the Hindu teachings. Right thought. So it's just right restraint thought. of bad character. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So it's important to say those three or those two. We didn't get to asana, which is just learning how to sit still. Um, and these are all simplified definitions, by the way. So you just cover two of them, because I have yeah. yama niyama as one. As one oh, thing. Those are those are two. Two steps. Yama and how did they separate? Uh, they're both. They both have ten um, observations. So there's 20 in all. Okay. Yama is observances. Niyama is its second step as restraints. So one is, well, let's pull them up. 
because there's 20, so I can't remember them all. There's five classical ones, but there's 10 in all, but uh, okay. So when we say observances, we say ahimsa, not harming or nonviolence, non-harming, non-violence, typically non-violence. We have truthfulness, non-stealing, brahmacharya, which is not, not sleeping around and specifically that's celibacy. Um, or another definition of brahmacharya is not celibacy, but, but just the right use of your energy, you know, sticking and to one partner. Just to clarify, this is yama. Yes. Go. And then not being greedy. That's an interesting one. I've never quite seen it written that way. Then there's forgiveness, courage, compassion, sincerity, restricted diet, moderate diet, not eating too much or too little, and cleanliness. So observances. And that's why I say this is what we talk about on the show. Is this this character, this ideal character, this ideal way to hold yourself. Okay, I'm sorry. Yama is restraint. I'm going off of memory here, so I haven't talked about this in a while. Yama is restraints. Niyama is observances. Okay, so observances acts. Niyama asks that you practice certain things. Uh, cleanliness, which was already listed. Contentment, discipline, study of the self and text. Surrender, that's a religious practice specifically to a higher power. Oh, they don't list the other five. So the, the other five, there's 10 for both. So 20 in total, but, but 10 of those were added later. So a lot of people only use five for each. But anyway, my point is not to go into those specifically, but, but we, we understand that classical yoga does not begin teaching with just attention, concentration, meditation. That deep meditation, in other words, is not the first step. First, before yoga makes sense, you have to realize if you're a, a monster, you have to you have to learn about if you are someone who is hard to be around or if you're depressed or if you, I don't recommend, you know, sincere, deep meditation. If you're extremely depressed, I recommend more basic practices of routine structure, eating right, keeping yourself clean and tidy, cleaning up your house, um, you know, basic things, clean your car, clean your garage. If, 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 if something's not quite right, uh, we don't want to try to go into the mind quite yet. We want to keep it simple at first, especially with trauma. We have to first break open those layers of trauma and, and start to resolve them 
before trying to kind of go into ourselves and resolve them there. So anyway, that's, that's, um, that's kind of one way to cover yoga. And asana. Um, the ability to sit still. That's it? I mean, a bit no. more? No, I mean, I'm giving, I'm giving simple definitions, if you want to. I want just a bit more in depth than just sitting still. Asana means, I mean, it means posture. Let's see if Patanjali meant anything deeper. The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali define asana as a position that is steady and comfortable. Why? Well, what's after asana? Oh, attention. Okay. So to prepare for? Prepare. Yeah. Okay, I see. Quite right. So we work on character. We work on these things that require years of refining. And then we have a step that is, you know, asking us to at least be able to find a, a steady and comfortable position to, to sit still. Yeah, that's all starting to make sense now. Nice. Yeah, so I could have went through those first, but I didn't. I did it backwards for some reason. And when I first interrupted you, you were going into why we need to do yoga. So going back well to said. that. Well played there, sir. Um, so one of my favorite reasons to think about yoga and to tell people about yoga who are interested is because yoga and I'm, I'm going to quote Patanjali here. Patanjali was a, we've talked about Patanjali a while ago, but if you're no idea what I'm talking about, Patanjali is a, a, a Nada Siddhar or a, 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 a sage, uh, someone who defined yoga and, and put it on paper in, in a deeply mystical way. Yoga was before him already written out in the uh, Vedas and Agamas of Hinduism, the scriptures of Hinduism. But he uh, really outlined some deeply specific techniques and methods and definitions that were widely adopted. Okay, simple enough. So he's one of the authors of yoga. Um, and his text is cited as a reference to use when teaching and understanding yoga. Um, and in our, in our monastery training, the training that I went through, the, the yoga sutras were in fact a core principle. Why? Not only because, you know, those, those yoga sutras are so important to, to yoga itself, but Patanjali is in the lineage that I was in. So we studied the lineage. We studied the, the, the teachers and what they produced. Okay. So the Nava lineage 
nada means master or or adept um the nada lineage had these um teachers spring up throughout history and changed things patanjali was one of them another one was tiruvallavar uh, who wrote a very famous text um and another there's two famous ones, Tiruvallavar and uh, Tiru, I forgot. I think Tiru means great. It's like a sign of, a sign of respect. So there's Valavar. Anyway, I'm ranting. Um, so Patanjali, that's why I'm referencing his work, uh, said that yoga is truth-bearing. Okay. Yoga is truth-bearing. So by practicing yoga, we are learning the ability, the skill to withdraw information, knowledge, truth from ourselves. That's why it's a necessity. So it's, 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 it's necessary to follow the eightfold path of yoga to um, reveal who we are and what we know. And uh, it's a very old teaching. So what's interesting is that there are texts in the American texts in the 50s, 40s, and 30s, I think, and 20s, of uh, these Westerners in America talking about um, yoga. One of, one of my favorite texts uh, is a, a book about marketing and sales and how yoga helps with marketing and sales. And I, I think that's such a great concept because whatever you want to do in life, whatever you want to achieve and accomplish, um, if it's relatively difficult, you will need yoga. You may not call it yoga. Your teacher, the source of your learning, your path may not understand that it is yoga or call it yoga, but it is yoga. It seems um, the mainstream definition would be no definition but term would be psychology like the umbrella term if that's the way right way to phrase it like i think it would be classed under psychology yeah i think you're right the the psychology of different aspects of life which really means self-reflection the ability to analyze and reflect and contemplate on the why. Um, and that's, that's the first question of yoga is why and what and who. And the, the, the yogi, uh, one who practices yoga, begins by asking these questions specifically regarding self. Who am I? Where did I come from? What is the point of being alive? 
what is consciousness? Because as you'll see, as you've noticed, there are people that aren't asking those questions. Most people are just living a life of the donkey and the carrot. And they, they know they need to go to school, learn something, earn income, provide for their family, do other things to kill time, and then they die. And they know that, that they don't think too far into the future about the dying part. Um, and they don't think about too far into the past before when they were born. And they just do the things that you do to get food, clothing, property, and sex. And all of the things that come from one of those things, right? Sex, not just being sex, but sex, including family, offspring, et cetera, et cetera. Food, wealth, property. And specifically, those are the renunciant. Those are the things that we renounce as we become monks. And we renounce those things because we are saying, I'm going to dedicate my life on uh, the deeper things. I'm going to study yoga. And we don't have to give up those things to study yoga forever. But we do need to put those things aside for a moment uh, and, and think about the deeper things if we want to step outside of normal everyday consciousness. So I guess that's what I was going to say. Um, that's what I was going to say earlier. And, and this came up recently when I was working with um, an organization or a group of clients as we, it, yoga came up and I said, you know, we're talking about yoga and no one really could connect what I was trying to get at. And um, I think it was a, sign that we're still in an age where most people don't think deeply enough. Um, even, even elite professional performers, they're just focused on the thing, the carrot. And um, they don't realize that their performance in, in their field uh, heavily relies upon their ability to sustain an uplifted consciousness. Um, so I think that's why some of the greatest um, individuals in their fields have also studied yoga. I think that you'll find that some amazing people throughout history have also been yogis. Uh, I'd say when explaining it to someone, watch what terminology you use, because to them, it might mean something else than it does to you. So to make sure you clarify, like what it means to you before going more in depth on it would be yeah, beneficial. And I, I'm still learning that. I don't really, that's one of my challenges is uh, breaking down these, these words into things that people can understand. 
and because uh, you when you say yoga you lose people yeah exactly because i up until now up until this episode whenever you said yoga the only thing that comes to mind is as i said before the yoga poses that are shown like the different kinds of stretches that's all that yoga meant to me and and given the uh explosion of hatha yoga in the u.s and in the western uh what hemisphere from the eastern um that's more of a problem that's more of a challenge more than ever is uh trying to trying to redefine what people know as as yoga and every now and then you see it every now and then you you see a, an advertisement or something at a at a yoga studio that says you know we're, we're we practice uh, classical yoga here or we clack we practice the yoga sutras or the Patanjali's yoga sutras here, um, not not physical yoga. You know, I see that every now and then, I th and I think, ah, there's a group who's trying to do the impossible. Um, or to be a uh, in some yoga certifications, hatha yoga certifications, to teach physical postures, you have to first learn. Patanjali and the Yoga Sutras. So we have something there that is quality and, and good. Um, but how far they take that is uh, unknown. Uh, we, we had um, Nila, Kant, uh, Nila on the show. And uh, I used to almost call him by his monk name. Um, he he went through a yoga certification training i think it had to be like 900 hours or some crazy thing like that wow. and he said it was most of it was ridiculous like the it was so far off of what he knows as classical yoga and it, he talked about that he go back to that show if you haven't heard it we have former monk uh neela valen on the show uh man i served with for um I believe eight years and um you know he talks about his experience because he's he's trained in one of the best institutions in the world and so he has that knowledge and uh to, he had got to experience what most people go through in the west and that's why uh some of the most famous hatha yoga practitioners they go to india they don't study in, in America. They go to India and they go to a school for like one or two years where they have to study yoga um, seriously. And then they come back to the U.S. and they and they start teaching. Well, that, so that's that. That's a whole other. But yeah, I, I, I struggle with and, and not just with yoga, but I struggle with teaching people in general, like speaking to people and teaching them are two different things and i'm more of a speaker teaching is is requires so much concentration it, it's uh, most people don't have time to take up a serious teacher and and if people are serious i become serious as well i don't like uh sugarcoating things and dumbing things down it's very difficult for me
That's why I don't like sales and marketing. You, you only have, to, you have a few seconds to catch people. And with me, you need, you need at least an hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So just briefly to cover. So how does the, the mainstream yoga relate to this? Like how, yeah, how are, how does getting into those poses, those stretches help you get into yoga? I'm not sure how to phrase it. No, that's right. Mainstream yoga helps or, but with step number three, um, asana, that is mainstream yoga. Um, Hatha yoga is very important. Uh, being able to stretch out the limbs and in the body is healing to be said simply enough. It's healing. Uh, if you are inflexible, if you cannot sit still, if you cannot touch your toes, you probably have problems in your mind. You probably um, are like uh, physically and psychologically tight, wound up, um, stuck. You know, all of these words that can think that can express a, a tight muscle it's the same for your nervous system you know the way your body functions on a deeper level on a level that we can't see with science scientific uh, or medical machines um, you know a lot of um, eastern medicine will describe a disease that way and so yoga is very good. Yoga is uh, uh, one of the steps of the eight. We had to study Hatha yoga. Specifically, we had to master 24 postures in the monastery. And uh, it was, I, it, I absolutely loved it. I started out not being able to do any of it. And um, uh, practice twice a day for six months um, to get good at all the steps. And so that's two hours a day. And um, yeah, I, 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 I try to get to it twice a week now. And I can, luckily I can still do um, almost, almost all 24. There's two steps I can't do anymore. I'm not, I'm not, uh, you'd have to really stay dedicated, but uh, they say you work, you can work out karma. You can work out problems by, by doing yoga postures. I mean, it really helps, helps the body. Um, and most people do yoga. They feel good afterwards. They feel, I mean, hot yoga. I love hot yoga. It feels amazing. Um, I wish they had hot yoga here where we do, where we go to the gym, uh, but they don't, they just have normal yoga. Um, but uh, people are uplifted, you know, but, but do they know what they're doing on a deeper level? Maybe, maybe not.
So what you said about the tightness is interesting. I'll, I'll need to start actually stretching myself because this is something I carried from, I guess, a small age. What, what made sense to me was this is like completely not nothing to do with science, just my logic from my younger self that I carried on till now and didn't really yeah, bother changing it, changing the belief. So how I saw it was I saw my muscles as springs. And if I'm stretching, then it's like stretching a spring and eventually it loses its bounce. So I thought it would affect my performance athletically. Let's say if I'm running, I thought I would lose some power in my sprinting if I was to constantly stretch. That was my logic. So well, you're I mean, not wrong. Is you're, it not wrong though? You're not wrong. Um, you're right and you're wrong. Okay, so you're right because uh, using using uh, exercise science, uh, I believe my percentages are going to be a bit off, but I haven't looked at it, the studies in a while. After you stretch a muscle for more than 20 seconds, it loses 30 roughly 30 to 40% of its strength output acutely, immediately, okay? It is not recommended to stretch for 30 to 60 seconds before uh, strength uh, performance or trials, okay? Because our output will be reduced. Quick um, stretching under 20 seconds is acceptable. But if we go into deep stretches in the hamstrings, in the biceps, in the chest, we will be weaker physically. That is a known fact. However, uh, it does not last forever. It doesn't last that long, maybe an hour, two hours at most. And we, and our muscle returns to its, um, spring you know full spring to use your example oh okay interesting yeah so you don't want to stretch for a long time before you perform a bout of strength you will be weaker because of what you just said you, you a muscle can become more noodle like and less elastic and uh, it loses that spring uh and and when we're when we're lifting specifically uh, the eccentric and the concentric depend on a muscle's ability to spring back. That's how we lift a weight um, partially. So you don't want to loosen a muscle so much that it loses that, that spring action. That's why in, in, proper exercise conditioning, a warm-up is now considered um, cardiovascular is, is ideal, not, not, um, not stretching and, and reflexology, just, just um, lightweight warm-up, lightweight lifting, um, light jumping, light running, light jogging. I mean, Specifically, really just warming, getting a little warmer, and that's it.
Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah, I would say uh, if you see an elite level athlete doing deep stretches, they're probably like two, three hours away from an actual event, not like right before. So a lot of people, they go to the gym and they start stretching and then they pick up a weight and it's like, that's not, not what you want to do. Okay. Maybe an hour. If before you go to the gym, you want to do deep stretches, wait an hour after you stretch and then go to the gym. And that is all my questions for today. Excellent. Well, Rokas, thank you. Excellent as always. Um, thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Yep. See you next week. <laughs>